is, is all about is fantastic. It's a fantastic opportunity for folks who have uh, an interest in business and using business as a vehicle to have a more sustainable um, planet to, uh, to have that opportunity is phenomenal. And um, so, and in so, so when you think about life uh, and humanity, um, there is probably there there are probably not too many things that are as universally followed as sports. And so, when I tell people I work at the intersection of green and sports, they're like, "What?" But you know, all you have to know about it is that in the world of sustainability, it's, it's a world that is very important, like nothing is more important, right? We're talking about trying to reverse the climate change slash carbon train wreck so that humanity and other life can survive. But the truth is, is that not too many people, relatively speaking, care about it, yet it's so important. On the other hand, sports is relatively trivial. And this is coming from a sports fanatic. It's relatively trivial. But depending on what, you know, what uh, study you look at, somewhere along the lines of two-thirds to three-quarters of people in the world follow sports in one way, shape, or form or another. So my interest is, as, as someone who has been uh, in the sports world, and I'll talk about that in a second, and then in the sustainability world, as how do you bring those two together, get the passion that sports fans bring to the world of sustainability and saving humanity? So that's what I'm interested in. And why I'm interested in it makes, will make sense after I tell you my story a little bit. Um, I, since I was six years old, I, you know, my dream job would have been to be the uh, play play-by-play voice of the Yankees, the Jets, or the Knicks, any of, the, any of those jobs would have done, but those are really hard to get. So I was the guy that, you know, in school, if you needed to know the 1949 Yankees starting lineup, I would be the one who you would ask. Why you would need to know that, I don't know. But if you did, that would be me. Um, and then tried to work in broadcasting and sportscasting, did that in college. Um, then I... Uh, Finally, got work, and I worked for about 15 years on the sports marketing, ad sales, sponsorship, promotion world, and got to work in sports. And you know how great was that? I got to go to the World Series and the Final Four and the NBA Finals and Super Bowl and all of that. And it was great because I was following my passion. All along, I would I would say I was and I was a um, an environmentalist with a lowercase e. It was something that was important to me, but not nearly at the level of sports. Um, and then 9-11 happened, and it's going to sound really hokey, but I thought I was living here in New York City. Um, I'm from around here and was living in the city, and thankfully I didn't know anybody in the buildings, but it was like this seminal moment. And, you know, for our parents or our grandparents, it was like Pearl Harbor, what do you do? Well, what could we do, right? There wasn't much in the immediate aftermath that one could do unless you wanted to volunteer down at Ground Zero, which is certainly a laudable thing to do. But I 
uh, went in a different direction. I got inspired by um, the writings of Tom Friedman in the New York Times and others, but mainly uh, him, who was making the connection that we were fueling our wars on terrorism that we were fighting by our profligate energy use. I think at the time we were 4% of the world's population and we were 25% of, our world's en- of the world's energy use. And this, you know, the compact, compact fluorescent light bulb above my head went off and I had this aha moment and I said, okay, this is true. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a hybrid car, which I did. I'm going to change out all my light bulbs and, and live a green life. And I did that and I, that felt good for about a couple of weeks. And then I said to myself, well, I got to do this with my work. And so I took a step back and I said, okay, what am I good at? Sales, marketing, business development, um, but in the sports world. Now, is there something like that in the green world? And we're talking about in 2002-ish when I had this epiphany, and, and there wasn't. So, to, again, hopefully this is not too long a story. Um, by 2005, I had done a ton of networking and, and thought that there was a niche that I could fill, but it didn't exist in terms of a, a, um, a full-time job, so I went off on my own. Um, in 2005 and created Lewis Brand Solutions, passion-based solutions for your brand. Um, and you notice I didn't put green in the title because if there was a sports project that came up, I would gladly do it and their passion as well. But I started working mainly in, in, on green or sustainability-related projects back since September of 2005, and those projects include helping brands that are green or are starting to move in that direction, tell their story better, and also selling sponsorships to green events or on behalf of green nonprofits, and then also uh, worked in the world of renewable energy sales. So all of that, and I've been doing that for nine years, and I've worked with clients that you've heard of, like the Empire State Building, um, Whole Foods Market, the Wildlife Conservation Society, which big... uh, conservation nonprofit that owns and operates the Bronx Zoo, Central Park Zoo, um, New York Aquarium. And then I've worked for startups that you've probably never heard of and in between. And But remember my um, passion for sports as well, I was very interested in this intersection of green and sports. And so last May, I started a blog called Green Sports Blog about that intersection. And it, now we have roughly about a thousand uh, followers and or subscribers and people in this at this green sports intersection which I'll talk more about in a bit and um, so I've been writing about this and I have a blogger who helps me out as well out in the Midwest fo- uh, particularly focused on the greening of college sports and um, so we've been doing this for a year and a half or so and um, and I've learned a lot, and it's really, I think this is a growing area because of the impact and the profile of sports. Sports has a huge megaphone, both both negative, right? All you have to do is hear the words Ray Rice, um, and you know what I mean by negative, and also very positive. And, so the, and then just as a side note, I also um, host a... Uh, television show on local cable access here in New York called Green Gotham um, about we talk to uh, we talk to uh, guests who are doing great green things in the New York area who 
most people don't know about. And included in that, we interviewed uh, Dr. Eben Goodstein a while back. So hopefully that wasn't too much of an introduction of myself, um, but there you have it. Thanks, thanks, Lou. This is uh, Miles Knowles. That's uh, uh, a great summary, I think, of um, some of what you've been doing um, over the past uh, 10 years. Um, and in referencing Green Sports Blog, um, I'm curious uh, who exactly um, you envision as the target audience, whether it's um, practitioners, uh, professionals, uh, team owners. Um, who, who are you trying to get this information to? Um, I'd say all of the above, plus interested fans and activists. Um, so let me take a step back um, ab about this intersection um, of green and sports. Uh, I don't know if, if your listeners are aware, um, but there's something called the Green Sports Alliance, which is a trade group of venue operators, i.e. stadiums and arenas, the team executives and leagues and sponsors, all about the greening of sports. And they now, I believe, have had four summits annually, uh, annual summits, the last of which, the most recent of which, was in uh, July in Santa Clara, California, that drew 700 people. So, <clears throat> and the Green Sports Alliance audience, I believe, is my audience. So it's folks who are, uh, we get C-level executives and directors of operate, stadium operations. Uh, domestically, we get them from, uh, you know, I have people who write in from Ireland and Australia, et cetera, et cetera, involved in trying to put on greener events. We get, um, we get some uh, eco-athletes or former athletes who are interested in this topic. We get, uh, we get folks who are trying to sell greener products and services to these teams. Um, and so they are also our readers. And we get uh, sports fans who are looking for something different, um, who are interested in, in the environment as well. Um, so, it's a, so it's a mix. Um, but that's the audience. Um, do you see, I guess, the industry as a whole moving uh, more towards sustainability? And um, I guess, if so, um, do you think that's because of maybe uh, direct financial returns, or would it be uh, related to, I guess, the image-conscious um, nature of uh, the industry? I would say, well, first, to answer your first question, do I see the industry moving in that direction? Absolutely. I mean, all you have to look at in the U.S. and North American sports is, you know, the National Hockey League has a sustainability director. You know, that didn't exist five years ago. They also have another one and a half people who work on that issue with the sustainability director. The NBA doesn't have a sustainability director per se, but they have one person at the league office who I'd say half of his responsibility is sustainability. Same thing with Major League Baseball. Um, and so, but what is the motivation? You know, it's hard to really know because to get inside someone's head is obviously not easy. But my first, uh, and I don't even think it's a guess, just by 
um, um, what I've observed is that it's the first the first reason they're doing it is because of financial reasons. Um, you know, and what are they doing? They're be, they're installing LED lights. Well, okay, there's an upfront uh, investment, but there is a very relatively speaking short break-even point, and then they're saving money, um, and they're looking for other ways to save money um, because teams, while, while sports leagues, especially at the major league level, are awash in cash, a lot of that cash goes to pay labor, i.e. players. So in terms of at the margins, if they can improve their profitability by being more energy efficient, well, they're going to do it. And if that's by being more energy efficient, you know, that's being green. And then by doing so, they can then choose to market that greenness to their different uh, stakeholders, whether it be fans, whether it be employees, um, whether it be politicians in their local, um, wherever they're located, um, so, but I would say that second, um, the first is to be more uh, to to either save money or uh, figure out a way to sell more stuff. Um, the other thing is, at the minor league level, let's say minor league meaning a catch-all phrase for minor league baseball or smaller college sports or sports that are that have a you know, a smaller fan base, you know, saving money can, even if you're saving $25,000 in a season or 50000 that's a huge deal. So, you know, these organizations are really looking for anything that can help them save. Um, now, in terms of, you know, getting greener to, to have a better relationship with their fans, that is, to me, that is the most important reason. Getting fans engaged is the most powerful possibility of the green sports movement. It's also the slowest to come online, you know, whether it be energy efficiency, whether it be um, recycling and composting and going zero waste, you know, uh, thus saving uh, hauling to landfill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and perhaps getting some kind of tax benefit from going, uh, you know, recycling and composting. All of those are what they are doing a lot of now. Also, uh, when deciding when to site a new stadium, site it in a place that is close to mass transit so you don't have to have as big parking lots, um, et cetera, et cetera. They're doing that. That's what, that's what they're going for first. Getting fans engaged is more complex in some places, seen as political, um, in, in, in some others, and a lot of them. And you know, in the end, they, they might think, "Hey, all, all our fans really care about is, you know, winning and losing." And to a large extent, that's true, but that's not the only extent. Um, and you'll see, you know, it's not surprising that if you read my blog, you'll see that in places like Portland and Seattle, you know, the teams really get it. In fact, that's where the Green Sports Alliance started out in Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver, because their population base cares about it. So 
so many of my posts involve, you know, the Portland Timbers or the Seattle, uh, Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it's, it's, you know, but it is spreading. Hi, Lou. Uh, this is Ruben. Um, I'd Hi, Ruben. Like to thank you. I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Sustainability Business Friday. Um, and I'd also like to say that I'm a, also a member of the Gangrene Nation. Oh, my um, gosh. Oh, yeah. you gotta, you got to save yourself. You know, become a Colts fan. A Colts fan? No. They got good oh, quarterbacks. All right, all right. A friend they, heard this. Oh, no. It'd be trouble. Um, my question is actually on the other side of the coin. Um, sure. How come sports fans, there's such a disconnect between sports fans and environmentalists? Um, a lot of, like, some of the most staunch advocates I know of combating climate change uh, are, you know, NASCAR fans, are IndyCar fans. Um, it just, it seems like there's sports and there's environmentalism, and we try to push companies like Apple or um, Levi's to embrace sustainability and, you know, take these take these challenges head on, but yet we're totally all right with, you know, these New York Yankees, you know, handing out paper cups if, uh, you know, we get to watch them play baseball. Well, there's a lot to that question um, or several different ideas in there. And so where I'll start with is that there was research, uh, quantitative research, uh, recently conducted, I want to say in June of 2014, um, by a, uh, you know, a respected market research company uh, called Turnkey. And they were looking at the attitudes of sports fans to the environment, towards the environment. So they did, you know, a study of a thousand, you know, quant- a statistically significant sample size, and they uh, defined sports fan as seeing, uh, going to two sports events or more per year. And you know, you can quibble with is that really a sports fan? That's separate discussion. But okay, so that's their that's their uh, definition of sports fan. And among those surveyed, uh, 81% expressed significant um, expressed uh, concern about the environment. Whereas with the general public, sports fans and non-sports fans, that number is 62%. So, you know, initially that may be surprising. But what I think, what I say is that is a significant difference right there. Sports fans are demonstrably more concerned about the environment than the public at large. 81 to 62, that's like a 30% difference or 28%. Uh, that's significant right there. So you know, now you have to ask, well, what's driving that? And then you know, we didn't, the cross tabs and the details of that either weren't asked or we didn't, you know, wasn't made available, so then it's just supposition. But, you know, it could be that, um, you know, sports, sports fans, um, it doesn't, it just said sports fans in general, it says attends events. So perhaps people who attend college sports events, uh, which include a student population, are more into this. It could also, 
show that you know people who attend sports events have higher incomes than the population at large, and higher income folks are more interested in the environment. I'm not sure. I'd be interested to see um, the, the cross tabs of that, but just that to me is a major stat right there. Um, another stat from that same survey was that you know uh, teams would be do well if they want to reach women sports fans to use environmental programming that is legitimate, i.e. not greenwashing, uh, environmental promotions, environmentally uh, related events to reach them. Because women sports fans are, again, about 30% more likely than their male counterparts to you know, positively, be positively uh, disposed Toward, predisposed towards a, uh, a green-themed promotion. And, you know, uh, depending on the sport, women um, are between 30 and 42% of the fan base. So it's a, a, a significant minority. So I don't know if I'm answering your question with those numbers, but that's, it, that's to show that, wow, sports fans and people who care about the environment are not a... a at odds with each other. They're, in fact, the same. So I, I'm not sure. I know you asked other things, but... Actually, I mean, uh, I mean that's a pretty cool uh, stat, but uh, that wasn't quite the question I was asking. I, my okay. question was more, why do sports fans... Uh, why are we not nearly as um, vigilant about pushing the environmental issue with sports than we are with other aspects of our lives? It, I feel like we give sports... Uh, we let sports off the hook. We let sports franchises off the hook when it comes to environmentalism, because it's I think uh, I think that 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 study that I just uh, cited, on especially the first part, you know, if teams if teams knew that and bought that a lot sooner than you know it just came out in 2014. Um, you know, you might see you you probably would have seen much. You would have seen more from the teams and the leagues in that direction. That being said, why do we give why are why are uh, sports teams you know let off the hook on environmental? I well, I, on the one hand, I think that it it's and this is just supposition on my part. Um, on the one hand, it's seen as the play you know the fun, the play part of life, and we try and get, you know, do we want to in, involve something that could be seen as serious? And maybe that's one reason why it's, you know, not been an issue up until recently, and even now the issue is still, pun intended, somewhat inside baseball, although that's changing. Um, you know, I think that it is changing as we speak, though. You know, for example, um, you know, and it's not changing everywhere, but it's changing in some places and for the good. For example, the San Jose earthquakes um, of Major League Soccer just are, in 2015 will be moving into a new stadium, LEED, you know, gold certified. And the only way the city of San, uh, even though it's in San Jose, the, the the team name is in San Jose, the stadium is in Santa Clara. No, it actually is in San Jose. Um, the the um, the city would only give them 
certain tax breaks um, for this stadium if it would be built to their level of lead uh, satisfaction, so to speak. And that never would have happened. Now, again, that's in San Jose and Silicon Valley and et cetera, et cetera. But you're seeing it. The new Atlanta Falcon Stadium um, is going to be lead. In fact, I'm going to venture to say that most new stadiums built from here on out are going to be some degree of lead with the San Francisco 49ers, Levi's Stadium, <coughs> excuse me, in Santa Clara being kind of the gold standard, the lead gold standard for all future stadiums. And we toured that facility as part of the Green Sports Alliance Summit this summer, and it is just beyond amazing. I mean, they have crossed every T, green T, and dotted every green I. It's ridiculous, ridiculous in a good way. Um, but still in all, and I actually think, you know, teams are underselling this. They, they don't – my thing is they don't talk about their greenness enough um, in most cases. And, but, you know, they don't realize that a certain segment of their fans would be actually responsive to this. Um, you know, I would love it if what San Jose, the city – did with the uh, earthquakes became kind of like the standard for all city, you know, team, stadium, and arena discussions. Unfortunately, that isn't the case, and we will see that with the new Atlanta Braves Stadium, which is being built nowhere near the city center, nowhere near mass transit, out in the suburbs northeast of Atlanta. And it's like, I've got to write a blog post about that and I'm going to bug them, not that it will change it, but in any case. I just, so, but hopefully I've somewhat answered your question. Hey, Lou, this is um, – oh, go ahead. Okay, Lou, this is Miles again. Um, Hello. I'm glad, I'm glad you briefly touched on, um, I guess, the role of women and sustainability issues, um, especially considering um, – you know, the NFL has had a lot of um, problems uh, exactly. this year and last year. Um, I don't know um, if you remember, there were several allegations of pink washing um, when it was disclosed that um, something like only 8% of uh, the items that they were auctioning off uh, during um, the cancer research um, month went to actual cancer research uh, for breast cancer. And uh, so I do remember that. I certainly remember that. Yeah. So I, I guess, do you think maybe, um, you know, similar, um, similar potential for greenwashing exists and maybe that's preventing some, um, you know, professional sporting teams from going all in? Yes, but I think, I think that, I think the bigger problem is that is the opposite in the case of green. I think the bigger problem is the teams are doing some really cool things, but they're not reaching out to the fans who would be, you know, uh, motivated by the cool green things that they're doing enough. And I don't think it's because of greenwashing because there, it's easy to do it. It's easy to say, hey, we're not perfectly green, but we put solar panels on the right field roof of Fenway Park. Hey, if you have solar 
uh, if you put solar on your house, you get a, a, a discount on tickets to a Red Sox game next year or some such thing, or a free tour of, of Fenway Park. I'm just making it up. And if there's any people from the Red Sox front office on this call, I will, even though I'm a Yankee fan, I will certainly work with you on this. Um, but, I mean, it's easy to do that. But I think, in, aside from in places like Portland and like Seattle, where, you know, so much of the population is beyond the sports fan population is motivated by this issue, that I think teams are afraid of the political nature of the sustainability discussion. And, you know, that they think that their fan, um, you know, again, this is my words, I'm editorializing, that their fans listen to Rush. And if they listen to Rush Limbaugh, they're going to be turned off by, you know, some kind of green programming. And I think that's a, a fear that they should not, it's a silly fear. A, because, you know, the research I just cited before, and B, because you're only, you can talk to a segment of your fan base by, you know, you could create a green, you know, a green fan club. I'm, again, I'm just thinking out loud. And people self-select to be in it. And just like any fan club, they, by, uh, doing this green activity and doing that green activity, uh, you get points and then points can be redeemed for merchandise or tickets or, you know, meet and greet with players, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, and I do think this will happen. I just think it's, you know, early days as it relates to the fan engagement portion of it. But if, if you have a, a second, um, I'd like to share an example of a team, and it is in Seattle, and a company that's doing something right. And I had nothing to do with this. Um, uh, you know, I didn't work on this project. I did write about it, but I didn't work on it, so it's not like I have any stake in it. But do you have a couple seconds? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you're focusing on Seattle because I am a born and raised uh, Seattle sports fan. And uh, I will attest to the fact that, you know, a lot of people in the Northwest do tend to, you know, care more, I think, um, than oh, other yeah. regions of the country about sustainability issues. And we expect that, I think, from, uh, from our teams. Well, then you may, maybe you're aware if you've been back in the last couple of years, uh, and this is a really interesting case study. So uh, this is to do with the Seattle Mariners baseball team and Safeco Field, yes. their home stadium. And BASF, is a big chemical company from New, uh, from Germany, actually, with U.S. headquarters in New Jersey. And, you know, they make – they I think their, their slogan back in the day was, we don't make the things you buy, we make the things you buy better. So they make the ingredients in all sorts of things, cups and lamps and metal projects and pl- products and plastic products. And over the last 10 years, they've made a major shift to making those uh, components uh, organic, biodegradable, et cetera, et cetera. So now they're making things that you use greener. So, but they've never sponsored sports before. And uh, they talked to the Mariners about becoming a sponsor. And the Mariners said, okay, yeah, we would love to, you to be our sponsor. And, the, and BASF said, no, we don't want to be your sponsor. What we want to sponsor 
is the zero wasteness of Safeco Field. We do not want to be a Mariner's sponsor, like perhaps Coca-Cola or Samsung is. We want to be the zero waste sponsor of, of Safeco Field so that we can be seen as, and, and as part of that, we want to contribute to, um, we want cups that you, biodegradable cups that you use be cups made with BASF biopolymers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so this has never really been done before. Now, as part of doing this, they, uh, you know, they paid a sponsorship fee to the Mariners, but their, their designation is the zero waste sponsor of Safeco Field. And zero waste is a term of the, is, is a term of the art, so to speak, in stadiums and arenas. A zero waste event means that you are diverting 90% of waste from landfill, at least. And so the Mariners, by the, before BASF got in, became uh, involved, were in the 80s. And then BASF helped put BASF, which has been, I think this is their third year that they just completed, BASF helped push them over 90 so they can say they're uh, zero waste. And um, But there are aspects of the sponsorship that are very traditional. They get signage at the stadium. They've created something called Zero Waste Saturday, uh, sustainable, sustainable Saturdays, where you can uh, bring stuff for recycling and repurposing, where they have a trivia, a sustainability-related trivia contest on the scoreboard and other things of that nature, which you would, uh, you know, you would associate with traditional sports sponsorship. They get tickets to the games um, th- where they can entertain their their clients and also sweepstakes winners that are entering sustainability-themed sweepstakes, and it's been a big success. So then um, they they went beyond uh, Seattle, and they went to the University of Colorado in very green Boulder to do something similar with the zero-wasteness of their home basketball games, men's and women. Smaller uh, scale in terms of attendance, but the same idea. Then they went to the University of Michigan and the University of Texas, um, where they're not going zero waste, but they are making major um, greening steps in their athletic departments, and so they are partnering with them um, on a – it's just called something different. It's not called zero waste because they're not going to that level yet, but they're doing something similar. And then when you go to Michigan and Texas, even though it's in Austin – you're getting away from that Pacific Northwest. You're getting away from Colorado, and you're getting more into an area that isn't where sustainability isn't quite so native. And so those, it's early days, but it seems like those are successful, going to be successful uh, as well. And so they've gone from being involved in sports not at all to now having five or six different um, engagements similar to uh, what they did with Safeco Field and the Mariners. So. I think that's a pretty, and I don't think that's the last of these. I think it's the first of these. Do you think um, Do you think it's going to continue to be sustainably minded businesses going to um, potential receptive uh, individual sporting teams, or do you think we'll get to a point where the teams are actually reaching out? It would be the Mariners being like, okay, we're at eighty percent. How do we get to ninety percent? Who can help us do that? How long? Well, uh, guess, how long? My- 
start. Thinking. I think it's going to be the, I think it's going to be the your second construct, and I certainly, as a consultant, I'm trying to find, to work with you know to to say that I can help teams find uh, brands that want to do something like this. But I think you know. It, Sports are copycat, just like any business, right? If this is seen as successful, they're not going to – a sports team isn't going to say, oh, the, the BASF approached the Mariners or the Mariners approached BASF. They may not even know it. But they're going to say, wow, look at this, the sustainable Saturdays at, the, at, at Safeco Field. How cool is that? What should we be doing? We have, uh, you know, we have um, solar panels uh, – we have solar-covered uh, 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 carports where our cars park in the parking lots. We should be doing something. We should be doing consumer promotion around that. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field, uh, because they're uh, the ex-wife of the of the uh, the majority uh, owner, is very interested in this issue. Has made uh, and she's still involved with the team at at, at an, a minority owner level. She you know, spearheaded a huge green movement with the Eagles, who have green-colored uniforms as well. And now they have something like 11,000 solar panels on the east uh, wall of the stadium. If you drive down um, 95 past the link, you will see this huge solar installation plus wind on the roof. You know, they should be, you know, I, I think they should be doing fan-based consumer promotions that are around green. I would suspect that the 49ers with their Uber Green Stadium are going to be doing something similar. Um, I mean, it's, it just makes sense. But, you know, again, this is really happening as we're speaking. I mean, the, the Mariners' Safeco Field BASF thing is only from 2012. So I do think teams are going to be proactive with it. Great. If anyone's interested in asking Lou a question who's on the line, press 5 star and I'll try to call on you. Um, I thought Ruben was going to go ahead and ask a question, but uh, I've... Uh, oh, he definitely, um, he definitely has. My, my phone was on mute. Oh, go ahead, Ruben. All right. Thanks, guys. Sorry about that. Um, I, I have a question about the players themselves. Uh, how are the players... Um, are they are they at all recognizing, uh, I guess, climate change? Are they at all uh, doing anything about sustainability, um, or are, is this going to be entirely an owner fan relationship? Um, that is a really good question. We are so I've written a couple of posts about the dearth of eco athletes right now. Um, I think the reason why there aren't more of them at this point, you know, when athletes all, you know, especially at the, you know, pro level, many of them have foundations and charities that they're involved with, but very, very, very few are environmentally oriented. And I think that the main reason is either they're not, you know, they're like most people. They don't think about it. They're unaware of it. And if they are aware of it, it's complicated. It's science. Um, they shy away from it. You know, athletes are mainly singularly focused at that level. 
you know, they, they, and so for a, an outside extracurricular charitable um, thing to get involved with, they're not going to want to have it have, they, they want it to be easy. And this may not be seen as easy at this point. Um, the exception is in the winter sports where athletes see that climate change is, or they're making the link between climate change and um, affecting the sports that they actually play. Ski seasons being shorter. Um, so skiers, snowboarders uh, have gotten into this. Again, I mentioned the NHL. One of the reasons why the NHL ha has been among the major sports leagues in North America, the, the leader in this, is because a huge port, you know, part of the NHL, part of hockey's heritage is you know, kids learning the game outdoors on frozen ponds in you know, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, or somewhere in Manitoba or whatever, and those see the, the amount of time that can be spent uh, playing hockey on frozen ponds is less. And so there is a – so hockey players uh, among pro sports players have been the early eco-athletes. There's – I don't know if you're hockey fans, but there's a guy, Andrew Ferentz, who was on the Bruins when they won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. I believe he's now in Edmonton, which is ironic because that's like in Alberta, the Saudi Arabia of, of uh, you know, uh, dirty oil and shale gas. But he is really, he's made this his thing. And Scott Niedermeyer, who is now a retired player and a, and a Hall of Famer, in fact, also is into this um, big time. In terms of, and Mike Richter, um, shouldn't forget him. He was the goalie, most famously, who helped the Rangers win the Stanley Cup in 1994, their only uh, Stanley Cup in all of our lifetimes, unless some of you are older than 74. Um, and uh, he to he's super uh, environmentalist, but also now runs a uh, company called Healthy Planet Partners, which is a uh, renewable energy financing company. So he's actually gotten into the business. But that's hockey. You know, um, there's, uh, you know, the other sports, it's, it's uh, slow going. I, I wrote a blog post, you know, uh, uh, an open letter to LeBron James, this is about a year ago, saying, LeBron, you got to, just all you got to do is say climate change is real, it's human cause, we got to do something about it, and you will be a hero forever. But I never heard back from him. I wrote something similar to Peyton Manning in another post and haven't heard from them, but I'm going to keep after him. And, uh, but, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a slow trickle, um, but hockey players have started it. I'll reach out to uh, Russell Wilson in Seattle and see if uh, we can get him to say something. Yeah, he um, would be a great guy. Yeah. I mean, so, so on that note, um, you know, the bulk of sustainability um, in sports, um, you know, is focused or, or pretty much entirely on the environment. Um, is it too early to expect any talk of social sustainability, especially given, um, you know, the NFL this year has had problems uh, in fair wage negotiations with their cheerleaders. They also have the problem of uh, the health of their retired players being a career hazard. 
Uh, do you think there's going to be any openings for social sustainability in pro sports? Um, I actually think that may be easier um, in the sense that, you know, depending on which issue it is, you know, especially with the issue of, of uh, domestic violence and, and, and trying to appeal to women, I mean, I think that's going to be a must. Um, uh, you know, my focus is on environmental sustainability, so I, I can speak much more, you know, kind of closely to that. But to me, the, uh, the social um, is, you know, much more, much easier. Um, why they haven't? Well, that's, you know, a whole different conversation. And on the governance side on the ES, of ESG, you know, that is going to be on an issue by issue. Like, you know, should the NFL have a tax-exempt status? I mean, that's, you know, that's more of a kind of inside-the-beltway thing. I don't think those types of issues are going to really resonate with the public that much. But on the social, I think, yeah. I mean, look, the sports have, you know, they have, each sport has their own uh, idiosyncrasies and their own social concerns, the NFL and football, obviously, with concussions and domestic violence and, um the, the pink washing that you cited before. Um, basketball has uh, probably, I think they've had domestic violence problems with the NBA. I think, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, um, um, I'm not certain what their hot buttons might be. Um, but anyway, I think it's easier to do the social than the environmental. I have a, a question about uh, college sports. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we, we as sports fans, focus way too much on the professional level. Would we, um, would there be a much greater uh, return in terms of integrating sustainability and uh, environmentalism into sports if we focus more on the college level and got college students really involved in, uh, you know, pushing their schools for a greater um, accountability. Oh, yeah, they're already doing it. And, in fact, I think uh, your statement is true if you insert one thing. We, in the New York area, are more <laughs> are, are mainly concerned with pro sports. And you could even say that from, let's say, Boston to Washington, right? But if you get – if you move just a little bit west and south uh, – College sports, and obviously in, in some places, is religion. And I think to your broader point, yeah, the college sports area is a ripe uh, field for the greening of sports and getting students involved. Um, you know, there are sustainability departments and courses at the undergraduate level at all the big or most of the big-time sports uh, schools, and they – to one degree or another, are already engaging them in the greening of their games. And so there was a collegiate sports sustainability summit um, this summer. I believe it was the second or third one. Uh, My uh, uh, blogger from the Midwest went to it. I just went to a couple weekends ago out to Columbus, Ohio, for the um, Rutgers-Ohio State game uh i'm a Rutgers grad and we got destroyed but i went for that but also to see the zero wasteness of of ohio state uh athletics which is an amazing thing to behold 
I mean, they have 106,000 people at a football game, and their diver- diversion rates are 95 to 98%, and we're talking about the heartland of Ohio, the heartland of the heartland, really, in Columbus. And um, I'm telling you, you know, to see, I think uh, all, you know, anybody interested in this topic should you know, make a pilgrimage out to Columbus to see what they're doing. I mean, the, the uh, recycling and composting um, bins and facilities in and around Ohio Stadium are, you know, was a new thing, and they, they I think, had a, a, a transition period. But now it's like almost all the fans I saw of all ages, um, and this is, of course, not a – I'm just – this is my eyeball test. We're just throwing stuff, uh, you know, separating their waste, putting it into the right bins, in the tailgate areas, beyond the tailgate areas, um, and in the stadium. And they have uh, volunteer staff all throughout who are talking about uh, the greening of Ohio State, and there's a whole Ohio State Recycles website, and and they're really doing a great job. And what's interesting is that they have two professional teams in Columbus, the um, Blue Jackets and the NHL, and the uh, crew in Major League Soccer. And I went the night before the football game went to the hockey game uh, blue, at the Blue Jackets, and they basically were doing nothing. And, I, and I'm thinking, man, they should, the Ohio State Recycles people should be calling the Blue Jackets and saying, hey, let us green your, your uh, nationwide arena up. It'll help you. Great. Thanks, Lou. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Sustainable Business Fridays with the Bard MBA. If you have a question for Lou, you can press 5 star on your phone, and I will call on you. But, Lou, I have a question for you in the meantime. Um, Sure. I'm from the East Coast, and I've spent a lot of time on the West Coast as well, and I agree that there is more um, embedded in the culture this idea to be really more sustainably minded, even in sports. What can we do on the East Coast to kind of spread this thinking and change the industry a bit, you think? Well, I, actually, I think that, that the teams or folks who are, like myself, practicing in the green sports you know, marketing world need to talk to the teams and, sh- and show them and also talk to the BASFs of the world and say, okay, it's one thing, you know, you guys are – you know, you guys are like lining up outside the Portland Timbers office to do this green thing or that. Why not go to the New York Red Bulls in Newark, New Jersey, whose stadium is built on a formal, uh, former brownfield that was cleaned up, so it was inherently green, even though they had no idea, you know, they didn't do anything green particularly in the building of their stadium. But soccer, you know, soccer fans, yes, Major League Soccer is a smaller sport in terms of uh, crowds right now, and, and but, you know, Young people, 35 and under, get green way better than people in my cohort. Just do it, uh, you know, I'm slightly <clears throat> over 35. Uh, soccer fans are the youngest amongst all the if you, five sports. So soccer to me, regardless of where you're talking, but certainly here in New York, uh, a new team coming into New York next year playing at Yankee Stadium also, they are, and, and they need to get new fans. I think going to soccer teams in New York, New Jersey, the Philadelphia Union, the Washington, um, whatever they're called, D.C. United, um, is one way to go. The other way to go is to 
you know, it, and show success there, and then you can go to the Yankees or you can go to the Jets or you can go to the Knicks and say, look, look what we're doing with soccer. Um, and look what, look what we're doing with the greening of soccer. Why, you know, and this is getting us more fans, more engaged fans, fans who are um, bringing new people into the stadium because they're getting an extra you know, half price off on the next ticket, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, why wouldn't you want to do this? So soccer is one way. I think the college sports angle Yes, it's big. You, know, you get 106,000 people at Ohio State. You get 100,000 or whatever at Michigan. But you know, Rutgers is going to have 54,000 tomorrow at their game. Boston College has 40,000. Maryland has 60,000. You know, you have the same very enthusiastic, idealistic, uh, you know, subpopulation of students. Certainly, you should be. We should be uh, getting the universities up and down the East Coast to get involved. And then once you get that once you get soccer, the big boys, you know, hopefully we'll see the light. That's my thought. Great. I think that's a wonderful strategy. Um, so I don't see any questions coming through on the line right now. So Miles or Ruben, do you guys have any more that you want to ask Lou before we wrap up? Or last call for anyone, it's um, please press five star on your phone. I don't have any more questions. I just wanted to give uh, a plug to uh, Lou's uh, two websites, greensportsblog.com and uh, lewisbrandsolutions.com, uh, both uh, really good resources for anybody who's interested at this uh, intersection of sustainability and sports. And, uh, yeah, thanks for being with us, Lou. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, and I will tell you that an upcoming post, there's going to be a post hopefully Tuesday of next week. That's going to be, I think, it, it, it will show the possibilities of green sports. It's focusing on a very small English soccer team called Forest Green Rovers. It's like the equivalent of a rookie league baseball team. It's the fifth level of English soccer, four below the Premier League. And the owner owns a, a renewable energy company. And he has made Forest Green Rovers. I will posit the greenest sports team perhaps in the world and to an amazing extent. And it's showing small signs because you're talking about a small team of having a positive effect. And if similar to my thought on U.S. soccer and college sports and then impacting the big guys up in, in New York, if you can do it at the fifth level of English soccer, maybe Chelsea and Manchester United will take a look at what's going on. So look for that Forest Green Rovers sometime next week, maybe Tuesday. Excellent. We'll definitely look for it, Lou. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us um, today and talk about Green Sports. It is such, yeah, it's such an interesting industry, how it's changing, and something I've followed a bit. Um, just so everyone on the call is aware, we, Bard MBA and Sustainability hosts um, these calls, Sustainable Business Fridays, on the first and fourth Friday of every month, unless there's a holiday. Our next one will be November 7th. We'll have Dale Sands, who is Senior VP of ACOM, with us. And then on November 21st, we'll have, um, we will have Sophia Mendelson, who's the Head of Sustainability at JetBlue. So do tune in for those as well. 
Um, and with that, Lou, do you have any parting words for, um, for the folks on the call and students who are interested in getting into kind of the green sports wave and any suggestions for anyone before we sign off? Well, what I would suggest is self-servingly follow my blog. Um, but beyond that, I think that the two organizations, the Green Sports Alliance, um, which just Google Green Sports Alliance, I can't remember their URL, and the Collegiate uh, Sports Summit, you might, following them will be good. I know the next Green Sports Alliance Summit is next either June I believe it's next June in Chicago, and I absolutely believe if you're interested in this topic, it is a phenomenal networking uh, venue, and so uh, I urge them to uh, look at those two things. Excellent. Thank you for that suggestion, and uh, thanks so much again for your time, and Miles and Ruben as well for um, being part of today's conversation. So um, until next time, thank you all for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Lou. Thanks.